Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. This is a program called Canny View, and it's my pleasure, as always, to have in the studio the CEO of the Stuart Group from right here in Hastings. Nick Stuart, how are you going, Nick? Pretty good, mate, and uh, great to be back here with you, and apologies for not being able to front last week. No, because you've been riding out the COVID. I had, yeah, mate. The big C arrived at the big COVID, and uh, yeah, so uh, and I was you- not... Um, um, my the, the, the usual dulcet tones on the radio would have been rather muted. <laughs> and it got you big time, didn't it? It sort of sneaked up on you and then boof. Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. And uh, and you're basically no good to anyone for a couple of days. Mm. So uh, you're best just to go with, if the body tells you to sleep, go to sleep. What about drugs? Are they doing any good for you? Or did you just have to stay in bed and ride it out? You just ride it out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get on to more cheery things now before we start on today's topics, of which there are many and they are varied. Yes. Just remind our listeners, Nick, you've been in business for 35 years. Tell us about Stuart Group. Yeah, so Stuart Group is a financial services company. Our cornerstone is financial planning, helping people make good decisions with and about their money so that they can live the lifestyle and you know achieve those kind of goals and objectives that they always desired. Yeah. Triple C F A. Tell us mm, about that. Yeah, well, this is and look, you know, I've written many articles about it. You and I have covered this on the radio a couple of times, and this is the the Triple C F A was the new lending laws that came mm-hmm. in were um, enacted and you know commenced in the market on the first of December last year. And at the time, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, this is going to be no big deal," but boy, oh boy, mm. have um, have the chickens come home to roost? So you've effectively had a decline in lending. Of roughly 35% in the residential um, sector, but this covers all areas. Legislation was supposed to protect people from loan sharks, which is, hey, that's all fair and reasonable, that's great. But the problem was the legislation was a very, very broad brush approach and basically captured the mainstream. So not only did it uh, capture the loan sharks, but it actually captured the bankers trying to lend to um, you know, um, first homeowners, and it's caught everyone. Mm-hmm. And even though they've wound back some of the provisions, the cornerstones of the legislation are still there, such as a two hundred thousand dollar personal fine mm. for any of the banking staff that, um, let's just say that they um, haven't followed good and clear uh, process on the lending. Mm. And it's a principles based approach, which means. It's actually quite opaque, and it's actually quite... And so when I say opaque, one bank will read the legislation one way, mm. 
and, and it'll be way out on one extreme and another bank will read it the other way and it'll be on the polar opposite of the extreme because that's what happens with a principles-based piece of legislation. And on this one, it's unfortunate because just at the same time that we've had this whopping increase in interest rates, now, when I say a whopping increase, one must remember that the OCR, the overnight cash rate controlled by the our central bank, which is the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, at its head is Adrian Orr, we got down to... 0.25 of 1%. Well, we are now up at a much, much higher rate now. And effectively, effectively is what we had, we had um, just last week, we had a 0.5 of a percent mm. increase in the interest rate. Now, what that means is that we've come off the base of 0.5 to a 500% increase mm. off that baseline. So, just at the same time as legislation has made it harder to obtain finance, the cost of the finance has also increased. So some people are saying, well, Nick, you know, the decline in the um, appetite for lending is purely off the back of the increase in interest rates. And I would say, no, that's not factually correct because lending had already tanked and declined markedly Mm. prior to the rise in the interest rates. If we wind back to your conversation um, yes. with regard to that new legislation, why do you think the government don't wind it back full stop and uh, renegotiate it on the basis that they're just going to hit the loan sharks and then just leave it as it was? What, that makes sort of a bit of sense to me. Why doesn't it? <clears throat> um, I guess you'd sit there and say that the intent and purpose of the legislation was very clear and very defined. It was about protecting people mm. from um, poor lending practices. But um, and and look, it would take the government to walk back the legislation. They've said they're not prepared to yeah. do that. Um, so uh, here we are, and um, you know, hey, um, it is what it is. Yeah, and we're and we're going to have to live with it. And people are just going to have, are finding that the ability to obtain finance is more difficult. What are the ramifications of that recent change in the OCR for someone who say, I don't know, just bought a million bucks on the board on on uh, a two year fixed rate? At a low cost. Um, well, what happens is when they've borrowed the funds, and it's not so much the people that are borrowing today. The people that are borrowing today know yes. that the cost of funds yeah. are higher because that they're on that market. Those that borrowed two years ago mm. and had locked in with either a, you know a late two or an early three are going to find that the rate now starts yeah. with a four. And it'll be a late four, mm. if not an early five. And if they want to go long to have surety, in other words, you know, lock in their rate, it's going to have a six in it. Mm. Wow. So that's a that's a substantial change. And that does change the way that people act. Yeah. So people become a little bit averse to borrowing, which slows things down. And Ken, we're seeing that now. The the evidence is there that the local housing market it is slowing. But it's not making any more houses, is it? Which was the whole idea of making uh, <laughs> making it more affordable, more accessible. It's done nothing like that at all. It correct. It hasn't. No, 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 no. Um, it doesn't. And it will just it, it will just slow things. The difficulty is, and I talked about this in the kind of I think the first article they wrote around this was on this was around the tenth of December from memory. So quite some time ago. And I said, look. The issue around this is that most SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, 
most people borrow against their home to mm-hmm. finance their business, whether that being expanding their business or getting their business period through a period of negativity, you know, a bit of a trough, mm. a bit of a hump that I've got to get through. So, you know, they draw down on the home. Well, when, when the cost of funds increases or the ability to find that finance dissipates, mm. that's quite problematic because that then means it becomes you run the risk of contagion and the fact is that something that was intended to protect people from loan sharks all of a sudden becomes something that, you know, it's the equivalent of debt COVID for the general community. Yeah. It wasn't supposed to <clears throat> affect the mainstream lender. No. I was talking to my daughter yesterday about uh, housing. She's a bit flat because, uh, you know, she's, she'd like to have her own house, uh, but currently she pays more than half of her uh, salary in rent. And you, with the cost of living the way it is, she doesn't have a whole lot left to save. And no. uh, I didn't really want to be, sort of be the bar humbug guy, but uh, she's on an income of between 50 and 60 grand. There's no way she's ever going to be able to afford to buy a house. That's the reality of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is the reality. Because, look, you have to have underlying productivity in the economy to allow businesses and the community to pay people better wages. Mm. You cannot just legislate pe- people's wages up if the productivity and the growth of the economy is mm. not there, okay? It would be a little bit like, and I, I, I recall that real classic quote of John Keyes back in the day, where he said, you know what, if we could just legislate and make laws, why not? Why don't we make the minimum wage 40 bucks? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because if you could legislate your way out of problems, you would do so. Yes, the right. problem is that it just doesn't work that way. And there's a reason why... Uh, in the United States, wages are higher than they are in New Zealand. Mm. Is because their productivity as a nation, on average, is much higher than that. But if we wind the clock back, Nick, and mm. uh, you know I'm much yeah. older than what you are, but when, when I bought my first house, uh, both my wife and I worked, and we both worked two jobs, and we had second mortgage, and the reality was if we didn't do that, we probably wouldn't have a house back then either. So what's really changed? We always look back with those rose-tinted glasses, oh, in the good old days, but geez. Well, um, well, the one is, Ken, is that, look, you know, we, you know, we, we have had um, increases in wages, but the fact is that, you know, back then you were probably buying, the home was probably two mm. to three times your annual salary. Yeah. Whereas now there are people paying between eight to 10 times their salary mm. to buy the equivalent home. Yeah. So what you've got is you've had a material price increase in that in that good in that the form of the home. So yes your wages have gone up, but the fact is that just the the quantum of the property price appreciation mm. is just so vast. So if you'd taken, like, like, you know, back in the day when you bought your first home, if you were spending, you know, eight times earnings, you would have struggled then as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And, well, and, yeah. and so, so if in your mind you struggled and had to dig deep when it was two to three times earnings to buy your house, yeah. well, you can understand why people really struggle today at between eight and ten times. And if you're getting a, an average salary, which locally is probably, I don't know, let's say 60 grand, you're literally it's 18 times the salary, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It, look, it, it's, it's incredibly problematic. And look, hopefully these things will right themselves over time. But certainly, um, I don't think it was the, in, I don't believe the intention of the legislation was to slow down mainstream lending, but certainly the triple CFA yeah. has had that effect. But the ultimate one that will 
um, slow down, or and I'm not going to use the word like prick the bubble, mm. but the one that will deflate the bubble, deflate the balloon, will be the cost of funds, will be higher interest rates. Crystal ball gazing, when do you think we'll get some relief? In terms of relief? Mm. <laughs> well, in terms of relief as a borrower or in terms of relief on house prices? Well, both. Um, well, 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 Ken, um, they are in two sides of the you know, two sides of the same coin. But the fact is that what you're going to see, and 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 they actually have a very very high correlation with one another. So when interest rates typically go up markedly, the um, price appreciation for housing turns negative and starts to decline. Now, um, so one would expect you'd start to see that happen, particularly for those where they are quite heavily indebted. You'll start to see some of those people having to offload some assets or right-size their balance sheet. And the way you right-size your balance sheet yeah. is you move from a very expensive home to a more modest home yeah. so that you have less debt. Now, we talked about it for years. The, uh, the yep. bubble's going to burst on housing, but it's not, as it? It's just slowed it down. Um, yeah, it slows it down, but you've certainly seen some of the numbers um, that are coming out now that have been rolling through over the last eight weeks. Uh, it's pretty clear that it's um, we are on the other side of the hump now so the peak um, has occurred and you're starting to see where um, you know properties are being passed in no one's turning up to um, auctions etc you know like it really has materially changed yeah Yeah. now regardless to how much money you earn you will have noticed unless you've been living in a box that the cost of living has just skyrocketed yeah it has well look some of the evidence is showing like i know the new zealand initiative have put out the fact that the average household in new zealand it's costing them you know three thousand dollars or more to live per year Mm. so you know if you were quoting before ken just Mm -hmm. you were giving a a rough estimate you know if the average salary in hawks bay is sixty thousand dollars well if you've had an increase of three thousand dollars that's five percent a five percent chunk of your gross earnings, that's gross, by the way. Mm. That's not post tax. Mm-hmm. But that's of your gross earnings has dissipated and just disappeared in the form of the Grinch that is inflation. Then that really starts to hurt you, and you see people start to change their behaviour. Like how many times they drive the car? Do they go to the movies? Do they have a premium subscription to YouTube, or do they just suffer the endless adverts and just save themselves some money? I mean, that may sound like a joke. But the fact is that a lot of people, when they actually add up all of their subscriptions, yeah. like if I add mine up, I mean, I, I buy from about eight different news sources. I've got various streaming um, services that I, you know, that I utilize. It's probably about, I don't know, for in our, in our business, there's probably about a $100,000 of research and news subscriptions mm. that we buy. We're very different, you know, from the average mm-hmm. family. But, of course, we have to buy these, buy this material. Well... If you are a householder, a household, and you are unable to increase your earnings, then the kind of subs- subscription service you will look to turn some of those things off. They tend to blame uh, the current cost of living increase on what's happening in the Ukraine, in Ukraine <laughs> the shutdown in China because of COVID. Oh, is, is that fair or not? Ah, uh, no, no, that's that's totally unfair. Um, whilst um, Vladimir Putin is a basically the kind of antichrist at the mm. moment and potentially has been for a long time but people just have turned a blind eye um but the fact is to blame the inflation on putin um uh, is slightly naive 
because so, if you actually look at the ramp up of inflation, it did not occur when the tanks warmed up their engines mm. on the Ukrainian border. So who gets blamed the, the, for it? They, the, those inflation pressures yeah. have been evident for about the last nine months and running really strongly. It's just a convenient factor that people blame the recent um, inflation on the Ukrainian-Russian uh, conflict. So can we get away with blaming it on COVID? Um, uh, yeah, yes, you can, but it was the medicine or the remedy that we gave ourselves to fight COVID, which was the largest fiscal stimulation in the history of this nation. Mm. And the fact is, when you roll out the printing press, you know, that kind of Weimar Republic style, yep. the printing presses are running, you flood the market with liquidity. In other words, you know, you just you drive down the cost of debt by, you know, just, you know, the like our Reserve Bank went onto the market and acquired bonds so that it forced people like you and I can. So if, so if, if the central bank prints money, uses that money to buy assets off you and I and gives you and I a whole lot of cash, what do you, what do you and I do with the cash? Yeah, exactly. We spend it. Mm. And what happened? We created inflation. And every nation on the planet has done this. Now, we talk about uh, cycles and shares and mm. cycles in property. Are there cycles in the cost of living? Um, yeah, is yeah. it every seven years or is it every five no, years? No, 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 it's not. Um, the last time we had the kind of cost of living crisis was um, that kind of 2005, 2006. Um, and that was where the overnight cash rate was 8.25%. Mm. 825 basis points. I was just talking before. You know, we got down to 0.25 of a percent last, or only la- at the start of last October, we were at 0.25. Today, we're at 1.5. So we've got a long way to go until we get to that level. But the fact is, that was the last time we had a major cost of living and inflation problem um, booming along in the economy. Now, the global financial crisis, the GFC as people call it, that, that saw the end to that. This one... It's harder to see what's going to happen because you've got a very, very, you've got amazing rates of global uh, employment. So unemployment is at historical lows across all of the developed world countries. And you've got inflation that's really, really rolling along. It would feel in New Zealand that we're still climbing the inflation mountain. Mm -hmm. The inflation numbers in the United States came out last week and actually the March numbers had actually pulled back a touch, which Mm -hmm. gave people... A massive sigh of relief because effectively what normally happens central banks will continue to raise interest rates until until they flatten inflation yeah. so if inflation every single month is going up most people know they know what the medicine is yes. and the medicine is you know it's painful and that is higher rates of interest on your on your debt obligations does tightening your personal belt uh Sooner or later, to drive inflation down. I mean, yes, like, oh, I'm not going to have a, that cup of coffee. Why does Why does it do that? Well, because so what is inflation? And you and I have talked about it before, Ken. And that's where <clears throat> inflation at its core, and this is a neat way to look at it. It's too much money is chasing too few goods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you have a whole lot of people who go, yeah, look, I'm just feeling a little bit nervous. I'm not going to have that second coffee today. Or, you know what, we're just going to stay at home and watch TV rather than going to the movies. So what happens is that means you've got less 
people participating for that service or good. So what happens is that you just that demand side starts to wane. And what happens then, prices start to stabilize. Whereas where you have everyone who goes out and they're prepared to, no matter what the price is, they've got the money mm-hmm. and they're going to pay it, well, prices go up. So at the moment you've got it where I'm aware of quite a number of people who've, who have walked away from doing a new home build. Because they've just said, hey, it's just too expensive. I can't control the cost. I can't get a fixed price. And the builder's telling me that um, that they're really, really struggling to get supplies and that, that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. So what happens there, if you have a whole lot of people who don't know, who, who, who no longer wish to do their dream new build, well, what happens is that demand starts to mm. dissipate. So at the moment, you know, if you want, um, say, fiberboard, you got a three-month yeah, wait. It's crazy. Um, if you want to get like color steel, you used to be able to get, you know, a plain array of colors. You know, like let's say you're not mitre ten, you're wanting orange. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're wanting like an off-white. You know, you would normally be able to get that in a number of weeks. Now you're talking months. Mm. Um, so what happens is you, you know, people start to walk away from the table. And what that does, that reduces demand, and that starts to normalise pricing. Inflation 101. Correct. And, you know, <clears throat> most of us haven't had to think about this. Mm. You know, I, I talked before about 2005, 2006. Back then, in in my world and the world that I operate in, which is in, say, you know, like that kind of financial services funds management background, I can remember back then the big thing at the time was everyone was seeking commodity funds because inflation was the boogeyman. And, you know, you had to have a portion of your portfolio and commodity funds to deal with inflation. And then it just disappeared. No one talked about it again. And then all of a sudden, here we are. Now, I know that's... So going back to your original question is, is there a cycle? Well, that's a long time ago, Ken. When we're talking about, you know, 2005 through to now 2022... You know that's that's a, it's a long that's cycle. a long cycle. It is a long cycle, but it just kind of gives you an idea about things that are seen to be benign, and like like if you look at World World War One, people said you know the war to end all wars. Mm-hmm. Why would anyone want to fight one another again? So, but you can see that within a within within a generation they were back at it again, mm. and it's like inflation. It's one of those things. Most people think that that, that you know central banks with all of their 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 tools around um, money supply and modern economics, the things we didn't understand in the Great Depression that we understand now, but it just shows you it is only benign and it's still there. And if you do things like, you know, we borrowed a lot of money as a country to stimulate our economy, and, yeah, we got things going, but now we need to slow things. And we need to be very, very careful how we deploy capital because, Ken... Most of the people that are really negatively impacted by inflation, they're people that don't have very much. Indeed. Which is a great segue into my next question. We were going to talk about cryptocurrencies, but we haven't got time. I just wanted to maybe um, give some advice to people that you mentioned that uh, the average household is now faced with a a bill of $3,000 that they weren't expecting because of inflation. What would be your advice to them when it comes to their investments or their insurances or the amount of money that they save? Because most people are going to say, geez, 
don't know if I can afford to do that. Well, I think people need to they need to sit back and reflect on what they have, and that is like the first part. A lot of people they never can they spend more time planning their Easter school holidays yes. than they do on their annual budget, like their balance sheet, their revenue statement. You know, in other words how their family actually ticks fiscally. Mm. You know, what comes in, what goes out, you know, what what um, degree of risk can we take with our assets, how much elasticity do we have if something goes wrong. Most people spend no time on mm. those things in terms of planning. Well, now is a good time that they did so. And, and it doesn't mean that they, things like, cut everything to the bone because everyone needs some form of insurance. The question is, how much can you have and how much can you trim back and how much of your discretionary spending can you remove? And it's really, really important that people have that annual stock take. And if normally, you know, the only time they do it is every time there's a recession, well, look, instead of waiting until it's become a major problem, look at it now. Take some time out and actually sit down and say, hey, how can we alleviate some of these issues? How can we think a little smarter? How can we plan? That's And look, just allocating a little bit of time to your own purse, your own wallet, is super important because, you know what? Pennies and dollars just fall through people's fingers like water. Yep. But it doesn't have to be like that if they have some careful planning. Just to remind our listeners, Nick, before I let you get back to work, if we need some, uh, some advice on investing... How do we do that? How do we come to see you? How do we get to see you? Yeah, well, you can um, give us a call on 0800-878-961 or you can um, look at us um, on the on the web at www.stuartgroup.co.nz or you can come in and see us at 204 Kadamu Road in Hastings or on the terrace in Wellington. information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge.